Welcome everyone, Tim here from Video Game Fury. It is Wednesday, October 25th, 2017. Hope you're having a good middle of the week as we are here to give you the latest on gaming news, gaming walkthroughs, some things I've been playing recently, as well as continue to give you the great adventures of my journey in studying the game developments for all you aspiring game devs that want to learn this path as well. Which I've been incredibly failing at lately. <laughs> it's just been such a busy life for me, but I do plan to keep doing it, and I want you to feel like I'm giving up my hopes here. It is still on the docket for me whenever I get a free moment. But we're here to talk about some other things that came up over the last couple of days, some interesting news items and playthroughs, so hope you guys enjoy the show. The Connect is dead, folks. Long live the connect, may ever it shall reign. No, seriously, guys, it's finally gone. <laughs> We've heard that rumor so many times, or either confirmed or unconfirmed over the years, considering that the connect sport has just been terribly lacking, if not at all, these last few years. But Microsoft finally put out the statement that while they are going to continue to support the existing connect technology and system as it stands today, they are no longer going to be manufacturing the product. Pretty much a death nail as I've heard it too. They can say they support as much as they want, but I don't know what exactly that means at this point. It's been a very interesting ride, interesting is putting it lightly, a wonky ride, if you will, for the Microsoft Connect system over these last five to ten years. You know, a lot of the promise behind it was in the motion world, which, uh, if you remember back in the late 2000s, we were in an age of motion control, mostly started by Nintendo's Wii, which totally caught the market by surprise and, and sold in ridiculous numbers. Motion technology all of a sudden became the big thing that you would expect its competitors to start copying off of. And naturally enough, Sony came up with the PlayStation Move, which had a lot of similar concepts of waggle controls. But the big promise from Microsoft is that we're going to take it to the next level and introduce full motion technology that the that would recognize the entire body and, and make you feel like you're a part of the game. And it's funny looking back on it now here. I remember when it was called Project Natal in 2009 and then it got its official unveiling at E3 the year after. And I still remember that Cirque du Soleil concert they did the night before E3 where it was the big reveal of it changing its name to Connect. I, can only imagine how much money they spent on that. It must have been ridiculous. But as much as it was a, a nice idea, I mean, really, what did we get for it? I mean, sports mini games, the occasional, like, touch the uh, pet the animal kind of game, like connectables. Oh, God, I still remember in that E3 showing of the little kid uh, trying to pretend that she was actually playing the game correctly, <laughs> petting the animals. I'm sure you guys remember that if you know your E3 as well. But I think I I don't want to harp on Connect too badly here over the years. Like you know, it definitely had a lot of potential, and I think as you know, this is what it released during the 360 days. But as soon as it was getting to the Xbox One times, is when they started to really try to integrate it into the platform itself. They wanted it to be the kind of the voice recognition technology that we're seeing a lot of today with Amazon Alexa, uh, the Echo, uh, Google Home, 
Oh, even even this app I'm on, I'm at Anchor, where I'm just literally recording the podcast on my phone. You know, even, you know the technologies in phones today, like Siri or Cortana. Um, it's you know it's crazy, I and mean, I've heard you know the age we're in now. It's just funny hearing it from some of the tech entrepreneurs I follow. Is that you know voice is going to be one of the things that rises the most that people are going to really take advantage of when it comes to marketing their products. So I feel like Connect was very early to the game, and you know that tends to happen. A lot of uh, technology providers will create the the new markets, but may not necessarily get a chance to perfect it. And I think that's where kind of Connect was failing. And also, it didn't help their cause a lot when the Xbox One came. There was a lot of controversy about the online, always online components that they were touting upon its release, that you always had to be online if you wanted to get the latest updates. There was a whole controversy of how people could hack into the Connect and spy on you in your own living room. There was even an article I was reading in, in Ad Age, because I work in the advertising industry, where they got word, and Microsoft says it's out of context, but one of their senior executives was saying how, oh, they can use the technology and get user stats to be able to you know, retarget ads better to their audiences. And that got a lot of hoopla about privacy and security concerns as well. But I think ultimately at the end of the day what really put it down in this new era was that it was creating a feature set that, if we're really being honest, the customers didn't really care about. I mean, you know, you hear stuff like, you know, when they announced that, that you know, we have the ability to say Xbox on or Xbox turn off Netflix and create all this voice activation across your different apps. It was, it was touting its integration with cable boxes too. And it, I would, I mean, I would say that's really more of it's a nice to have than something that is a necessity in the home. So, you know, I've had a couple of friends like demonstrate it to me when, you know, they had the Xbox before me and I was like, okay, that's nice. Um, I'm totally fine getting up and picking up the remote and ch changing the cable channel or picking up the controller to move a couple boxes over and switch from Netflix to Hulu, for example. So it just uh, it didn't the ROI didn't seem to be high. It didn't seem like a good return in value to, from my point of view. When really at the end of the day, people just wanted the games. And I'm sure if they delivered on those killer apps on Connect, like the touting of like a, a Star Wars game where you could fully control the motion, that was something people really wanted to see. And they eventually did get it. It just didn't execute the way they wanted it. And ultimately, after a while, they went back on everything they were saying. They eventually took out the Connect from the, the bundle and you know created it as like an adapter as opposed to being an integral part of the system. So now, today, we, every system we've got, Xbox One S and the X that's coming out soon, is Connect-free. And now we got this statement saying they're no longer going to be manufactured. So that is the long, tumultuous history of this peripheral that really just did not get to see the potential at the end there. And like I said earlier, I think being early to the game and not really fully realizing the vision they have in mind is kind of what stopped them at the end. Yeah, I really believe, I mean, it, regardless of what we say, you know, about this connected world where we can now stream everything, go online, watch all our movies and uh, TV shows all in one system, they're nice to have, but at the end of the day, people are playing these consoles for the games. And I'm sure if they delivered on some killer apps to really sell the experience of uh, playing a good AAA game on Connect, I'm I'm sure maybe Connect 
could still be in the conversation today. But, you know, we're now kind of past the days of very limited motion control into the world of VR and AR, and it's totally eclipsed everything that, uh, unfortunately, Kinect wasn't able to do. So, poor went out for the Kinect there. It's a, like, again, I, I'm not harping on Microsoft for wanting to see this vision go through, and they, they clearly wanted to capitalize on the rise of motion tech back in the late 2000s, but it just didn't work out in the end. So, all the best, Connect. You had a, had a wonky ride, but uh, hopefully you get the ride on to the sunset, wherever that is for you. So, the continuing talk about single-player games and whether or not they're going to exist in some shape or form in the future as a result of last week's big news about EA closing Visceral down and rethinking the strategy behind the Star Wars game they were building in terms of possibly making it more as a games as a service, as they were saying they wanted to make it more, more so that people can keep coming back and enjoying the universe they're trying to tell. And it's definitely getting out there in the comments, the forums. But lately, there was also an interview done by uh, GameSpot recently that really was kind of struck me a little bit. Something else to talk about here. This was an interview with the Xbox Xbox publishing boss Shannon Loftus, who basically went to say that while she doesn't believe single player only games are are dead, but they do have the kind of questions to face around economic viability. This is just one of the topics they were talking about with her today, but it was very, very prominent on their site here, and it's very interesting to know. Like, you know, you know she points out a few games here that single player only, but are really compelling examples that really perform well in the markets. Games like Fallout 4, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, even Ori of the Blind Forest, the sequel also coming out too. And of course, those first two games are really high quality games, like just really great all around from a visual presentation and a gameplay perspective. But it's interesting to note that, you know, she says they're not dead per se. People have to kind of look at the high fidelity that goes into a big multi-hour, like 40-plus-hour story uh, where there's like a high fidelity with higher-resolution graphics, and, you know, the graphics are just... keep finding ways to try to improve them, especially in this 4K world now where we are able to... Uh, create systems like the PS4 Pro and the upcoming Xbox One X. And it's, a, it's an interesting point there. I think Loftus seems to be kind of going into the saying that the economic considerations have to be considered because the AAA games are getting more more expensive to make as, as it goes over time, and they're taking a long time to make, too. And interesting, too, is that if you look at game prices today, I mean, we're in a... You know, the last time the price the price rose is when we got the PS3 and the Xbox 360. It went from 50 bucks in the old Xbox PS2 days to 60 bucks in the next generation. And then when we transfer over to Xbox One and PS4, still 60 bucks. And you know, the games continue to be more impressive, more high quality in the presentation, in the narrative, in the voice acting and so on. I mean, something has to give when you're keeping the same price and demanding this high-quality experience. So I guess that, that brings an interesting topic to talk about with you guys in, in terms of the ever-growing debate about whether single-player games are dead or not. 
I got a question if we actually have pushed it to this far here. I mean, we're we're, we're visual beasts, right? I mean, we, you know, look at you know movies too. I mean, we got all these big blockbuster films we go see during the summer where the special effects continue. You know, they, they have a lot more special effects. They got to have a lot more explosions. And of course, but you do when you do that, you're adding more to the costs of the movie, particularly in post production. It's actually fascinating to read here because it's a good comparison. I mean, that's you know, we're get, if you're looking kind of like at movies right now, movies are getting far and far in between when it comes to those big action blockbusters. Uh, we're getting less of them, and a lot of the the more quality stuff is going into serialized TV, where you can keep the produ- production budget low while still providing the quality of service. I mean, I, I go, I look at the comic book shows on CW like Arrow, Flash, uh, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. You know, they're, they're obviously not going to be big budget, but they at least keep things going enough that you can, you know, stay compelled for it for a while. It's, I mean, there's a reason why these shows have existed the last five years. I guess the point I'm getting at is that, do you guys think we're kind of responsible for pushing things the way they are that we have now gotten into this realm of games as a service, games that have microtransactions, games that are are all about loot boxes. I mean, it's an interesting topic to really think about here about where we've pushed this medium today. And I mean, look at, I mean, look at the world we're in right now here where this continues to be an issue. I mean, we just had one big high-profile game, single-player game come out recently, Middle Earth: Shadow of War, and it has microtransactions in it. And I mean, yeah, you can grind through it, you can earn everything you have, level up, get special accessories and items through normal gameplay and just go through the grind of playing a few hours. But then, of course, you got microtransactions where you can choose to spend your money, real real money, not in-game currency, to speed up your progress. And that's where kind of the oddities came out here, where why would you want to speed up your microtransactions? That's not really being favored to the people who are actually putting in the effort to get to the levels they're looking for. But it's a, it's a revenue stream that, you know, Monolith uh, decided to look into. Well, we're not immediately clear if that's the reason, but, I mean, what else would you be thinking in a single-player game like this? So, it, so, it is, so it, in a way, you can't blame some of these publishers and developers when they're talking about the game strategy and how things are designed that, you know, we have stuff like this in Shadow of War. I mean, we're getting the same similar stuff in the upcoming Star Wars Battlefront 2 as well. And all these games of a service are continuing to evolve by that. It wouldn't be surprise me, you know, I think we got, uh, maybe next year, I think it's Anthem is the big kind of games of service game that Bioware is going to be putting out soon. They're also, you know, Bioware is owned by EA. Would not surprise me in the least if they introduce a microtransaction slash loot box concept to that game as well. It just makes sense for them. So I think there's a lot to consider here, and that's why for me, you know, I mentioned this. Uh, I mentioned this on a show. I mentioned this on another podcast on Anchor that I was uh, commenting on as well on this matter. It, it it it's it definitely seems like we're seeing far few in between of these big AAA titles that are single single player experience. And if they are there, you know, people got to really justify every bang for their buck because the the, the cost of making games are not getting any cheaper. Now that said, we've got the indie folks out there making great games, putting them out in all sorts of different content and unique ways. And you have a recent example like Hellblade, Sonoma Sacrifice, that came out on PS4 over the summer. 
you know, Ninja Theory, I don't know how they specifically did it, but they kept the budget to a very good minimum while still making it a very visual appealing game. And it's a short game, too. It's like a six, seven hour game that I've heard of. I've been meaning to play it for a while, but I haven't had the time. But it, it's it's starting to maybe this is the trend it needs to go to. Maybe these indie folks that are pumping out great content and they're not short of that this year for sure. In this great year of game releases that we're getting, maybe that's who we need to look to, especially the the bigger publishers and developers, to be a guide on how to effectively make these kind of experiences while keeping the budgets at a minimum. You know, for me, I mean, I love my visually impressive games, but I mean, I'm. It really comes down to is the core mechanics for me, the games that, um, you know, are going to sell on me on you know replay value. You know, it's funny. I kind of remember uh, an old. I don't know if you guys remember GameTrailers.com. Uh, Jeff Keeley used to have a show called Bonus Round, and I remember many years back when they were talking about uh, issues with the economy and you know games getting too expensive. Yeah, David Jaffe on the show. Jaffe, well known for the Twisted Metal series and for the first God of War game. I remember him talking about, you know, the, the visual fidelity at that time about a game like Gears of War 2 at the time, how people kept demanding more games there. And then Jaffe kind of commented to say, well, are these the same people who want these better graphics, great, better visual experiences that are going gaga over game over a game like Super Mario Galaxy on the Wii? The Wii, as we remember at the time, didn't have high definition. It was standard definition. Did not look visually comparable to an impressive-looking game like Gears of War. But people still went to Mario in droves. I mean, granted, it's Mario. Mario has legacy. But the, the fact that it's the gameplay elements itself that really sold the experience to those users. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how this goes down the road here. I think... A lot of us need to kind of rethink our strategy about this, like what we want in our game experiences, and if this is really what the cost is going to take. I mean, we wouldn't be surprised, guys, if we get into PS5 and Xbox 2 that the games go to 70 bucks. Something to think about. Uh, let me know your thoughts here. Give a call on the app. Uh, I would definitely love to hear what you say. All right, guys, we're going to call it an early night here. Unfortunately, I didn't get to delve too much into news and playthroughs lately. Uh, really just more Destiny 2 stuff, really nothing too relevant that I could say that's different from the last time I talked about it. Just continues to be the game of choice right now as I try to grind through the uh, the side adventures. So we'll see how that goes, uh, but uh, we are creeping very close to the end of the week here, where, as we know, the 27th is like the big, big day of three big releases, Wolfenstein 2, Mario Odyssey, and Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna break the internet, <laughs> is all I'm gonna say, or break the machines that you're playing these games on, just because of the overwhelming goodness that's coming out of it. I haven't yet to hear one bad thing from some of the reviews that are leaking about any of these games, particularly Wolfenstein 2. I was just watching a uh, a Twitch stream real quick of uh, uh, one of the the heads at uh, Sifted.net playing it real quick. Stopped myself short because it was a cutscene, so I was like, nope, oh, I'm saving the experience for myself. But, man, that game looks good. <laughs> and here we are talking about single-player experiences and trying to find ways to make things cheaper. And yet I look at a game like that, man, it's so gorgeous. And I can only imagine how much money they had to put into it. But I digress. I don't know what I'm going to do with those three games. I'm thinking, the more I think about it, and I said last time that 
I was going to probably wait till the holidays, like maybe the end of the year to like really sit down and play those. But I think if I had to pick one right now that I want to play right away, it's Wolfenstein 2. I just love that first Wolfenstein so much. It really took me off guard how uh, not only it was a great shooter, but it was like a really good cinematic uh, narrative that they took it in. It's definitely not the old Wolfenstein 3D I remember playing on the PC. So I may get that a shot, and it's a short. It will definitely be a shorter experience than Assassin's Creed and Mario, which I heard just has insane amount of hours to them, as most open world games tend to be. But we'll, we'll figure that out. I'll let you guys know. But until then, I'm calling it a day here. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I appreciate it. I appreciate any thoughts and feedback you may want to share, too. If you want to do that, you can leave a call in here on the Anchor app. Find me on anchor.fm slash videogamefury if you want to listen to me online. Or you can download me on the go. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Google Play. You can download me on your favorite podcast app and take me anywhere you want. And if you want to catch me on Facebook, too, sometimes I'm posting regular like articles every now and then that just kind of give me some quick thoughts uh, on some of the news. They potentially will end up on the audio feed, too, if you want to hear a more long-form um thoughts on the piece so you can check me out on facebook too facebook.com slash video game fury 79 if you want to check out stuff there too so until next time guys thank you for everything thank you so much for your time i will be back on friday for more awesome stuff for you guys but until next time this has been tim and enjoy your games